Hey everyone, and welcome to the Soul Anchor Podcast, where together we'll discover how to stay anchored in a storm and how to thrive. I've invited some friends that I deeply admire and whose authentic stories will encourage you to embrace hope when the waves crash. These are friends who have navigated some fairly deep waters of unthinkable circumstances, but they've arrived back on shore resilient and strong. We will also have a segment, what I call Anchor Coaching, We'll all answer your questions about what to do and how to stand strong in a storm and give some practical helps on how to navigate that. And we'll also be talking about just some fun things like staying sane, how to keep our sense of humor, how to stay distracted, so to speak, from the heaviness of the storm. And so hopefully that will be an encouragement to you as well. So I am your host, Cynthia Cavanaugh, and I am so glad you are here. As we kick off the first week of the Soul Anchor podcast, I thought I'd start off by reading the first chapter in my book, Anchored, Leading Through the Storm, which tells the story of how this whole idea anchored came about. And I really believe in leading the way and being authentic that you're going to be hearing a lot of stories from others throughout the next several weeks and their difficulties when they were in a storm and how they stayed anchored in a storm. And so I thought I would just start with my story as we launch this podcast to give you a little bit of history behind so you know where I'm coming from and why I'm so passionate about this topic. So this is chapter one in my book, Anchored, Leading Through the Storm, and it's called The Perfect Storm. On September 20th, 1991, six fishermen in Gloucester, Massachusetts, kissed their families and said goodbye to board the 72-foot steel-hulled swordfish vessel, the Andrea Gale. Toward the end of the fishing venture in late October, they encountered a storm of unprecedented strength. While it was officially called the Halloween Nor'easter of 1991, many people now remember it as the perfect storm because of Sebastian Younger's book and the movie that followed. This Nor'easter came from the merger of three separate storms. Vessels reported waves, the equivalent of 10-story buildings, and the Andrea Gale crew found themselves trapped right in the middle of it. On October 28th, the Andrea Gale, now surrounded by massive waves and increasing winds, made one final radio transmission describing the conditions they were sustaining. The captain gave their position and signed off. There was no further contact. Rescue and search teams found a few of the boat's fuel drums along with other items from the wreckage, but found no trace of its six men. The crew was declared lost. The community of Gloucester was devastated. Like the merging conditions that caused the perfect storm in 1991, life can create a perfect storm. With no warning, we can find ourselves heading right toward the eye of a deadly storm. We can lose perspective, meander over our thoughts, and ask the question, why? It can feel as though a 10-story wave will submerge us and leave us hopeless and unable to recover. My perfect storm began in 2007. Life was good. 
I was living the dream for Jesus. My family and ministry were flourishing. God had blown the doors wide open for ministry opportunities, and I stood in awe as invitations to speak and write flooded in. In truth, I was partly scared out of my mind, but I felt God's delight as I taught his word, encouraging women to live life boldly with godly influence. I was telling my God story and watching him draw women to himself in incredible ways. I was overwhelmed and incredibly humbled as I listened faithfully to God's whispering, you can do this. I've given you everything you need to succeed. I wanted to be obedient to use the gifts he had entrusted to me. But by the end of 2007, I was utterly exhausted from years of ministry, traveling, and the major family events that marched on in spite of my busy schedule. Our last big family event came when our middle son was married after a whirlwind romance. My husband Kevin and I were on the verge of an empty nest. I needed rest and more. Since I had experienced clinical depression in the past, I knew the warning signs and what I needed to do to restore. At the same time, Kevin's influence as a pastor and leader was growing. God had us on parallel tracks and soon we were both running in separate directions on a national level like two bullet trains. At first, we had a blast. We had our God story time catch up moments, engaging in conversations and times of prayer together. After a while, it became apparent something was amiss. Just as in the perfect storm of 1991, our storm had three distinct pieces that came together, lurking to erupt into something we couldn't even imagine. The first storm came as one by one our boys left the nest. Admittedly, I had never understood the empty nest woes. In fact, when I heard women wailing about their kids growing up and moving out, I used to think, what is wrong with them? I never imagined I would be so sad about it at all. But here I stood at the edge of the nest, ready to turn in my mother badge after 28 years. Of course, I was silly, or so I thought. I knew I would always be a mother, right? A significant shift was on its way and my emotions were completely unprepared. I find myself mentally moping around. I felt like the father in the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, when his daughter's about to get married and he laments over and over, why you want to leave me? Of course, my little chicks were now grown men with chest hair and it was time to cut the ties. They were flourishing and I was so very proud of them. But it was an emotional nightmare to close that chapter in my life, and it took me by surprise. I tried to communicate the best I could to my husband, but he kept declaring, we are free, we are free, thank God we are free at last. That didn't help much, as you can imagine. The second storm brewing out in our little ocean was our growing ministry. Kevin and I became two ships passing in the night. As much as we tried to manage everything, we weren't as healthy in our marriage as we thought. We believed we were doing the right things, going on dates every week, taking vacations and weekends away, but deep down the core of our marriage foundation had a crack that weakened our ability to connect and relate. But we mustered on, in Jesus' name of course, God's kingdom needed us. We just didn't have time to pay attention to the crack that kept widening, unaware it was becoming a serious chasm. 
The last significant storm was an inner nagging, something was wrong. And when I say wrong, I mean awful. Our marriage needed repairs like an old familiar house that begins showing wear and tear. We had years of unknowledged dysfunction, even though we believed we were doing all the right things to keep our marriage thriving. However, it wasn't enough to ward off the slow-growing cancer that eventually turned into an all-out metastatic infection. The pressure in our lives intensified as we continued the cycle of conflicted reactions. Wrong belief systems of what a healthy marriage should look like and unhealthy patterns kept bubbling to the surface and oozing out danger. We stepped around it, ignored the warning signs, and tried to adhere bandages when what we really needed was serious surgery. But we were too busy to check into the hospital. As the pressure mounted for both of us, our unhealthy cycles increased in frequency from once a year to every three months to every few weeks to nearly every few days. We had lost the ability to reason with one another and our home became a hotbed of fighting. It wrecked both of us. It was emotionally and physically exhausting. My husband turned into someone I didn't recognize. He was angry and my reactive emotional behavior in return was frightening. I thought I was losing my mind. We tried attending counseling together, two different counselors, and that just made it worse. We each needed individual counseling before we could reap the benefits of sitting in counseling sessions together. We stopped going as a couple and I continued to go myself. As my husband buried himself in his ministry and work, I withdrew. We stayed in our separate corners, smiling in public as our marriage crumbled behind closed doors. After about a year of counseling, God revealed my severe codependency. I learned this meant I felt responsible for making everyone happy at any cost, even to myself. I wasn't being honest with what I was feeling or thinking, and that fed the dysfunction in our marriage. Of course, being the good Christian girl, I tried so hard to do everything right, and when my world fell apart, I was dumbfounded. It was then I came to the pinnacle of the crisis. I made a hard choice, and for my emotional well-being, I felt led to take a time out. I made the decision to separate for a short period of time and move out of our home. It wasn't an easy decision and a very unconventional one for the wife of a pastor. I agonized and I prayed, and then I prayed some more. I sought counsel for months on end because I desperately wanted to do the right thing. The last thing I wanted was to hurt anyone, but I knew if I continued in this way, eventually there would be severe ramifications emotionally and physically. I was losing myself and the noise of the fierce wind and waves overwhelmed my heart. I knew the possible consequences of what was at stake. My husband could lose his job if I made the decision to separate. When your husband is a pastor, your marriage and your family are seen as the models to follow. Not in the perfect sense, but in the sense that a pastor is called to be the shepherd of the church. If his home is out of order, how can he be expected to lead effectively? Most churches wouldn't look favorably at a pastor whose marriage was falling apart. At the very least, a sabbatical or a professional help would be needed to be offered, so I knew we could lose everything, not only his job, 
but also the ministry God had entrusted to us up to that point. But with the support of my counselor and a few leaders, I did take a time out and moved out for three months. I wish I could tell you everything was fixed in those three months and that the storm subsided, but it didn't. The winds howled louder and the waves crashed around the struggle of our crisis. The one different thing was that I chose to hold on to only Jesus and the boat with all of my might, white knuckles and all. Up until that point, I had made my incredible leader, pastor, husband, an idol. I had elevated him to a place only God should be, and it was a sin. God is very clear in the Bible about putting other gods before him. My dysfunction and trying to make everyone happy at whatever cost caused my heart to shut down. I didn't fully understand Proverbs 4.23, where we are instructed to keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. I was beginning to get a glimpse of what it meant to keep my heart through Psalm 71. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. He gently rebuked me and helped me revisit the spiritual marker of my relationship with Jesus before I met Kevin. God reminded me that he was to be the sole voice of authority, my hope and my confidence. My husband was important, but he was broken like myself, and together we needed to seek Jesus' restoration. The storm grew considerably darker as a result of the decision to separate. I lost friends. There were betrayals, rebukes, and spiritual abuse, all initiated by people I believed cared about me. My greatest fear, being misunderstood, had come to pass, and this reached the epitome of misunderstanding on so many levels. The hardest part was knowing I would disappoint our kids, and even though they were adults and had left home, I felt like a complete failure. I rocked their world, especially our youngest son and his wife. I moved out shortly after they were married, and the timing was not ideal. It crushed them. Each of our sons handled it in the best way they could, but it was tough and it hurt. I am so proud of each of them and they, that they didn't take sides they prayed. In turn, in the process, I wanted, even in my pain, the best way I knew how to honor their dad, even though we were both bleeding inside. I felt pain like I had never experienced before, but in the midst of it all, God's love poured over my broken heart. I had to choose to believe that God was near, even though the painful wounds ranged, screaming otherwise. Our church didn't shun us or remove Kevin as the pastor. Instead, they loved us through the mess, sent us to counseling and two separate gut-wrenching week-long intensives in the mountains of Colorado and the city of Dallas. The master physician Jesus, through skillful surgeons led by the Holy Spirit, lanced the cancer in our marriage. He didn't fix it all immediately, but the Holy Spirit exposed the dysfunction, peeling back the layers so we could see the next steps we needed in order to take to get well. The winds and waves have calmed considerably during the time of awareness and healing. We have watched God breathe renewed life into our marriage and repair unhealthy patterns and a belief system so deeply entrenched in the corridors of our mind. We've set boundaries and limits so we don't end up repeating the same storm pattern again. 
Are we perfect? Not by a long shot, but we are growing and having fun together again. We came very close to ending our marriage for good. I know not every story has an ending like ours. We aren't living happily ever after, but rather we are healing, growing, and learning to love each other in new ways. And most importantly, we are learning how to forgive. This is the story of our perfect storm and what happened. And this podcast was birthed, the, the idea from this podcast was birthed out of this story of how to stay anchored. I can, can't tell you how many things that I learned during that time and I'm still learning as we still try many years later to learn new ways to grow and to love each other in our marriage. And you know, whatever you storm you might be going through, whether it is a marriage storm, maybe it's a relationship with someone else, maybe it's an illness that you have recently experienced, maybe it's a death and a loss of a dream, I just want you to know that it is possible for you to get through to the other side. And I can remember being in the middle of my storm, my heart so broken and just wondering, will I, would I ever recover? And it took really just choosing to believe by faith, not in what my feelings were telling me, but by faith that God was going to help me get through. And I kind of joke about this, but one of my, I joke about my favorite verse in the Bible being a very simple phrase and it came to pass. <laughs> Knowing that I wouldn't be in that place for the rest of my life. My storm wasn't going to last forever. I didn't know how long it was going to last, but it would come to pass. It would pass and the sun would come out again and I would be able to stand on the deck of my boat in the sunshine and listen and watch this, the gentle waves lap against the side of the boat, that there would be a time in that. I'd lived life long enough to know that no storm lasts forever. And so I just wanted to share my story with you in this first week to be able to, so you could know that you are not alone. So there's a place that we could connect as friends and to know that if I can help you in any way, know and give you courage to be brave and stand up and stand strong in your storm, that's what my prayer is for this podcast. And so now we're going to move into a time that I'm going to introduce each time we're together. And that is what I like to call anchor coaching. And so I have some questions already prepared from some people that I've asked, what kind of question would you like to know about being anchored in a storm? What would you like to know? And I have a great question from Tammy and she says, okay, I'm getting real here. She says, I've been there, still there, but is it okay to be mad at God? Is it okay to yell at God? And how do you regain your intimacy with Christ? That is a great question. I love this question because I can honestly say <laughs> growing up in the church and, you know, I was taught, I think I was taught or I learned, or maybe it just fell off on me that God couldn't handle my anger for some reason that God just wasn't big enough to handle my anger when I'm in a storm. And so Tammy and others of you out there, I want to tell you something that it's okay to yell at God. Of course it is. It's okay to be angry. 
but you know, we have to know how to channel or navigate that anger into a healthy way. God can handle our anger, I guess is what I'm saying. And I love the book of Psalms. I love the psalmist and David and the few others who wrote the Psalms. And you know, David, he expressed all of his emotions. And I just want to assure you that God created us as emotional beings, as emotional creatures. And when Christ was here on the earth, he felt the whole gamut of emotions from being angry to crying, to weeping, to having a sorrowful heart, to laughing, to having joy. And God created us in that way. And God can handle our anger. You know, Ephesians talks about anger and it says "Do um, that we could be angry, be angry, but don't sin. All right. So it's what we do with our anger that makes it right or wrong. But I want you to be assured that yes, God can handle our anger. And there have been many times where I yelled at God and said, God, I don't understand what's going on here. And like a loving father, he took me in his arms and he held me as I expressed my emotions to him. And as I leaned into him and surrendered to him, he reminded me, of his great love and calmed my heart and gave me peace and comfort. So yes, God can handle our anger. He he can handle us being mad at him, right? And you know, I love the second part of the question that she's how do you rega- regain your intimacy with God? And I without Tammy being here, I can see almost reading between the lines like if we yell at God, if we're mad at God, does that mean that's broken off our intimacy with him? And I really don't In the moment when we're struggling and we're trying to figure things out, I don't believe that that really breaks that, right? Unless we use our anger to turn against and sin against someone else by hurting someone unnecessarily. I believe that just expressing our emotion to God and our anger to God, that we are being intimate with God and he will meet us right where we are at, that he promises to meet us in that in-between place of when we're trying to struggle to understand. And you know, there's just some things we're not going to understand in this life. We are not going to understand why people do what they do, why they can't reconcile with us. And you know, I lost my mother a couple years ago and my mother and I had a really kind of stormy relationship throughout my whole life. I don't really feel like my mother really understood me, to be honest with you. And we went toe to toe many, many times and we hurt each other. And my mother hurt me very deeply. But you know, the one thing that she did teach me that I'm, I mean, she taught me lots of things, but probably one of the most important things that she taught me that I will be forever grateful for is that she taught me that only God can understand me. And even though my mother couldn't understand me, I knew that God was enough for me. And so in my heart, I can reconcile the fact that I couldn't make my mother love me the way I needed to to be loved. I couldn't get her to understand me the way that I wanted her to understand me. I couldn't, for whatever reason, she didn't have it in her to be able to understand me and accept me for who I was. And so that is you know, God giving me that understanding has given me great peace to know we can't make people do what we'd like them to do. 
If we have broken relationships, we can't, if, you know, the Bible says, as far as it depends on us, be at peace with all men. So if we've done everything we possibly can to be at peace with another person, we've worked hard at that. We can't make that other person respond and reconcile to us in a way that brings healing in the way that we would like to have healing. And so we just have to entrust that to God. And that's where God can come in and heal that in ourselves. And he's the only one that can do that. And I'm so grateful to my mom as much as problems that was we had with each other. She gave me that gift. She gave me that gift of knowing that only God could meet that in my life 100%. And so as we, as we work in a storm, you know, sometimes in a storm, we can feel like we're all alone. We feel like God is not listening to us or that he's silent, but he is there. We have to hold on to the truths that we know in his word, that we are not alone, that he says in Psalms as well. He says he is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those crushed in spirit. We know that by faith, even though if we can't feel it or we don't hear it. And that's what creates that intimacy with Christ is just knowing and believing that truth that no matter what happens, God is going to be there with us. So be encouraged, Tammy. Be encouraged, those of you out there. Yes, God can handle our emotions and he is ready and willing to listen and to soothe our angst and our anxiousness and give us the peace and the comfort that we need. Hey, I don't want to forget, I want to give away two books. My book, Anchored, Leading Through the Storms. I'd love to give away two copies plus some of my favorite chocolates from my growing up here in the Pacific Northwest. And um, I'd love to send that to you. So if you take a screenshot of the podcast and post it on Instagram or in my author page, Cynthia Cavanaugh Author on Facebook, or you can just make a post in the Facebook group, Cynthia Cavanaugh Author, not group, excuse me, my page, Facebook page, Cynthia Cavanaugh Author, that you listened to episode two, The Perfect Storm. And I will put your name in a drawing and I will draw a name, two names, and I will be in contact with you. And I would love to send you out a copy of my book, Anchored, Leading Through the Storms. I want to let you know about our next guest in the next episode. It will be Jean and Carol Kent. You are not going to want to miss this interview. And I'm just excited for how this topic follows me telling my story of the perfect storm and what happened in our marriage. And they just released a new book called Staying Power, Building a Stronger Marriage When Life Sends Its Worst. And they wrote it with another couple, Cindy and David Lambert. And they say on the back cover, will the next crisis your marriage faces be its final hour or its finest hours. A child struggling with addiction, an aging parent who suffers a stroke, the loss of a job, the death of a loved one, a debilitating illness in your immediate family. In times like those, you and your spouse need each other more than ever, and yet those are precisely the times that too many couples find themselves driven apart, unable to communicate. I wish this book was available when I told my story several years ago. 
But what they say here too, for any couple going through life's most difficult trials, this is the read you need right now. This is endorsed by Liz Curtis Higgs. So even if you, you're hitting a moment of great vulnerability, the crisis that have destroyed so many marriages doesn't have to destroy yours. So you are going to want to tune in to the next episode of the Soul Anchor Podcast and be sure and listen and hear the story of Jean and Carol Kent and what's behind this book that they wrote. So I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for joining me today on The Soul Anchor. Grab a friend and join our community at thesoulanchor.com. That's thesoulanchor.com to receive the show notes and resources to help you through your personal storm. If you've been encouraged today, would you please consider leaving a review, subscribing or sharing this podcast, or maybe even all three? I'd be ever so grateful. Until next time. Remember, you are not alone. God is for you and you will get through this.